0: This Dharma Talk was recorded at Prairie Mountain Zen Center in Longmont, Colorado. Well, good evening again, everyone. Welcome to Prairie Mountain Zen Center. Thank you again to Jodo Cliff for supporting our study and practice, as always. This is week three in our six-week class. On the Platform Sutra, Tang Dynasty, Chinese Buddhist text, focusing on Kuenang, the sixth ancestor of Zen. And we've been using the uh, Red Pine Translation. There it is. I think it's on my screen here. Yeah, there we go. Red Pine Translation of the Platform Sutra. And uh, last week, in week two, we investigated how Huenang's understanding of meditation and wisdom resonated with and influenced Ehe Dogen, a Song Dynasty founder of Soto Zen in Japan, who was the, the founding of our Soto Zen lineage. And we noted in particular how the Diamond Sutra, the Sutra on Mind, plays an active role in the platforms. Uh, Because, of course, Hoi overhears a gata or verse spoken or chanted by a passing monk. And uh, it also shows the subtleties that Zazen reveals about our habituated conditioned minds. Later, in the 13th century, Dogen writes in Fukan Zazengi, if the slightest discrepancy arises, the way is as distant as heaven from earth. If the least like or dislike arises, the mind is lost in confusion. Zazen helps us see how the human mind is constantly appraising the world in terms of like and dislike, pleasure and aversion. The Buddha observed these as part of the three poisons, greed, hate, and delusion, also sometimes called desire, aversion, or ignorance. He understood from the calm wisdom of equanimity as developed and deepened in Zazen, how the habituated mind is conditioned to respond in this way. And furthermore, how we identify this mind with self, our sense of being separate, alone, and vulnerable. This week, in week three, we will study how Nang and the Platform Sutra describe the transmission of the precepts the 16 Bodhisattva precepts that guide Soto Zen practitioners through life and practice, and more specifically, these precepts in the Platform Sutra, which are known as the formless precepts. And they are tied in, as the Zen scholar Morton Schluter declares, with the ideological basis of the entire text, the Prajnaparamita teaching of emptiness. More importantly, Huayinang teaches we must take refuge in ourselves, in the triple treasure of Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, within our own intrinsic Buddha nature. This makes the Platform Sutra a seminal text in Mahayana Buddhism, and it empowers our own practice this very moment. In this very mind, translator Red Pine clarifies how Huenang leads practitioners to first understand meditation and wisdom as one. And then to understand the third part of the three pillars, the precepts that govern practice. Red Pine writes on page 153, about Huenang, he begins with taking refuge in the three treasures, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, the teacher, the teaching, and the community. However, instead of the traditional formulation, which directs us to put our trust in the historical figure of Buddha, there's a historical figure back there behind my shoulder on the altar, little guy back there. <laughs> Instead of this traditional formulation, Hwayanong says, look no further than ourselves. Red Pine goes on to say, this is because the only Buddha, Dharma and Sangha worth taking refuge in are all present within ourselves. He goes on to say, the body of reality Is called our Dharma body. This is the Dharma in which we take refuge. The actual experience of this is our realization body. This is the Buddha in which we take refuge. And the manifestation of this body in our thoughts, words, and deeds is our transformation body. This is the Sangha in which we take refuge. I'll read that again. This is from page 153, and there's not going to be a quiz on this later, but just, I think it's helpful. Red Pine says, the body of reality is called our Dharma body. This is the Dharma in which we take refuge. The actual experience of this is our realization body. This is the Buddha in which we take refuge, and the manifestation of this body in our thoughts, words, and deeds is our transformation body. This is the Sangha in which we take refuge. Going on here, as another appeal to us everyday people, the precepts in the Platform Sutra can be taken by both lay and monastic practitioners. Nor is any practitioner going to literally take refuge in the body of any historical figure. Rather, we take refuge in our selves, in the the triple treasure, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, here and now in this body, heart, mind. So it's really pointing back to our practice. And here it's helpful to recall in Genjo Koan, Dogen says to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. And in that, he doesn't mean that we've become absent minded, but rather our focus in Zazen systematically is grounded, but also observes all of what arises in body, in heart and emotion, and in mind and in mind states. And in this, our sense of what we call self starts to dissolve, starts to fall away, and this enables us to open the hand of thought as Uchiyama calls it, right? That we're no longer gripped on our thinking and no longer gripped on identifying as tightly, like a clenched fist, as we typically do uh, with our habituated consciousness. Uh. Going back to this notion that both lay and monastic practitioners uh, can take the formless precepts, can manifest them. Uh, typically, we think of a separation between lay and monastic persons. And maybe you're looking around saying, Yeah, right, I'm not sitting in a monastery listening to this talk on Zoom. And maybe you are, but my guess is by the backgrounds that we're all kind of ex- here in our civilian lay lives. Um, And so it can make sense that we think of ourselves in this way, and we think of monastics as over there somewhere. And similarly, it's habitual to see a separation between ourselves uh, and historic spiritual heroes like Shakyamuni Buddha or Jesus or any number of spiritual heroes you want to think of, bring to mind, uh, elevate in our esteeming of them. Um, So it's very helpful that Huenang's teaching in the Platform Sutra cuts through and dissolves this mode of dualistic thought and practice. While we do look to heroes for inspiration, Huenang's story exemplifies the Buddha's own words, be a light unto yourselves. Hway embodies this teaching by practicing with his whole heart, body, mind. He relies on his body first, making a pilgrimage out of the south where he lives and makes his livelihood as a woodcutter. Then he uses his strong body to climb the mountain to the fifth ancestor Hongren's monastery. And then finally he pounds rice for nine months in the kitchen. Wainong demonstrates his heart by declaring the way has no northern or southern ancestors, right? That he explains when Hongren challenges him upon arriving to the temple, right? He reveals this deep understanding that he too and anyone is possessed of this inborn Buddha nature. And he reveals the deep understanding in his mind through the mental competition in the poetry contest that is dramatized quite spectacularly in the Platform Sutra. So I'm going to take a little time to go over that because we didn't talk about it in our first two talks. So Hongren, the fifth ancestor to whom... Uh, Hongren has been directed uh, by the passing monk who spoke the verse from the Diamond Sutra. And, uh, you know, again, it just so happens that Huenang arrives right at the moment when Hongren is looking to name his ancestor who or his successor, who will become sixth ancestor. And so he declares to all the monks in the monastery that he will bestow his robe and bowl. Upon the winner of a mind poem contest, meaning upon the monk whose mind poem reveals their Dharma inside worthy of becoming the an next ancestor. this might seem contrived to us, maybe here in the West, uh, because we have all sorts of attitudes about poetry, and <laughs> we won't go into that right now, um but, uh, It is important to recognize that Tang Dynasty China was exceptionally literate. It was really one of the great civilizations in world history. Monks and government officials were required to have mastery of a complex and challenging curriculum and to have passed state exams in order to qualify for government service and a worthy place in the service of the country. And so in a culture suffused with Confucian ideals as much as naturalistic and spiritual Taoist ones, this was a serious matter. Even great poets like Wang Wei and Du Fu struggled to pass the exams. In fact, Wang Wei, who was equally famous and wonderful as a painter, sadly all his paintings are lost, but we have a lot of his poems, he was constantly struggling and feeling like he wasn't good enough. Uh, and, and sometimes he would work as a, a Chinese official, having passed the exams. And other times he said, I oh, don't know, I'm going away to my country estate now. And I'm going to paint and write poetry. And he was always kind of torn in between. Um, many of the monks and masters that we study were this kind of literate person. It was a really spectacular culture. Um, which tragically uh, fell into civil war with the An Lushan Rebellion. And within 15 years, like a third of the population died, millions of people through war and famine. Uh, It also impacted um, Buddhism because many of the monks uh, were forced to disrobe and uh, monks and nuns and uh, monasteries were closed. It was a A traumatic time. Fortunately, it was somewhat short-lived and Buddhism came back, was restored. At any rate, in the Platform Sutra story, there is tremendous pressure. And so it makes sense that head monk Shinshu, who all the other monks agree, oh yeah, he's going to be the successor. He's the guy. And so they don't even bother to write their mind poem, right? They just say, oh yeah, well, he's going to write it, and he'll be nominated as the guy. And so he can't pen his gata openly. Instead, he takes his lantern and pens his calligraphy at midnight on the wall in the temple. Dogen, centuries later, has an important statement. He says, though there are many features in the dusty world and the world beyond conditions, you see and understand only what your eye of practice can reach. In other words, it is consciousness that sees far more than the optics of the human eye. English poet William Blake also understood this. And he uh, used a similar metaphor and declared, when the doors of perception are cleansed, man will see all as it is, infinite. Eventually, Huineng overhears Shinshu's gata when a fellow monk chants it in the kitchen. This is Shinshu's verse. The body is a bodhi tree. The mind like a standing mirror. Always try to keep it clean. Don't let it gather dust. Hoennang is pissed off. He's like, you got to be kidding. This is it? He dismisses it. He's like, take me to this gata. You've got to show it to me, right? So he gets one of the other monks to lead him out of the kitchen, all the way down to the other end of the monastery, And upon his arrival, since he can't write, he has to dictate it to a fellow monk who then pens it beside Shinshu's uh, poem. So he writes a response poem, actually two of them. The first one is really obviously responding directly to Shinshu's poem. He says, Bodhi doesn't have any trees. The mirror doesn't have a stand. Our Buddha nature is forever pure. Where do you get this dust? He ends it with a question. Where do you get this dust? Great question. Good idea. And then the second poem takes it a little further. The mind is the Bodhi tree. The body is the mirror stand. The mirror itself is so clean, dust has no place to land. Taken together, these three poems are really quite rich. And so I'm only going to spend a little time on them there. Um, in the platform sutra, you know, Huineng's ancestors really are the ones that sort of wrote this and present Huineng in a good light and Shinshu in not so favorable light. And some of this comes through in Red Pine's commentary as well. And you'll hear me talk about that. But I think we can see that in Shinshu's verse, The body is a body, treat mind like a standing mirror. Always try to keep it clean. Don't let it gather dust. Those last two lines really give us instruction, right? Always try to keep it clean. Don't let it gather dust. And so in some ways, this is like Dogen telling us to do continuous practice. Never stop your practice, right? Dogen has this understanding that we adopt as inheritors from his lineage of practice enlightenment that if indeed as he states in Fukanzengi it is never apart from one right where one is our intrinsic buddha nature at the same time we need to practice it to realize it to manifest it and so this is this is good right we want to always practice uh but on the other hand as red pine points out and i'm emphasizing here shinshu's verse expresses an understanding from a perception of defilement or dualistic separation. As we know from our cultural life in the West, uh, these dualistic notions, mind-body, male-female, black-white, good and evil, can lead to obsessions with purity and ritualistic efforts to purify. And it can divide people into the clean and the unclean the sinners, and the saved. Uh, The gata, in this sense, posits a mind that is defiled and impure, and there's this this stuff we call dust. But by contrast, Poinan reveals an eye of practice that sees beyond dualism, that dismisses the metaphor of mirror and stand, while ultimately expressing a vision completely beyond all dualistic thought. From Huenang's concluding question, where do you get this dust, we understand him expressing a non-divided view, a more holistic and inclusive view. Mostly, we see our body as separate, ourselves as separate, and we struggle and we suffer, feeling distant from what we think will cleanse and unify us. But Huenang's teachings transcends the limitations of this way of seeing. His understanding reveals our intrinsic Buddha nature, shows that our body-heart-mind is never separated, and reveals that our concept of dust or impurity is constri- contrived, flawed, and ultimately misguided. Whatever arises in consciousness is part of us. We use this Bodhi tree to mirror our consciousness, and awaken. The body stands upon the earth, or in in my case right now, sits. Maybe you're sitting. And we are never separated from this earth. And we are then provided the basis for our awakening, in a holistic sense, at the heart of the Buddha way. When we recall how Shakyamuni awakens under the Bodhi tree we understand the holistic nature of this practice and this kind of awakening. Sitting upright in stillness and silence, we completely open this body-heart-mind, and the Buddha reaches down and touches the earth. Right, This gesture represents the wholeness or oneness that we yearn for, and it demonstrates the unity of boundlessness and transcends the separation of suffering the sea of samsara. The formless precepts that Huainang teaches and bestows manifest the truth of Buddha's final teaching. Be a light unto yourselves. We must take vows to, to take refuge, we must vow to take refuge, excuse me, in our own Buddha nature and in that way, manifest our four great impossible bodhisattva vows. Red pine says, Koinan begins with taking refuge in the three treasures, this Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, the teacher, the teaching, and the community. But instead of the traditional figure back there on the altar, it's ourselves, our body our Buddha, our Dharma, our Sangha, the teacher, the teaching, and the community right here, right now. So rather than taking refuge in an external form, one in an altar or in a painting or in our mind's eye, in our imagination, we take refuge in this very Buddha, here and now, And this is a truly challenging and difficult step. Part of the realism of the Platform Sutra, in its telling of the transmission from fifth ancestor Hongren to sixth ancestor Kuenang, is the verisimilitude, the realism inherent in the concealment and ongoing social, cultural, even racist bias against the truly manifested insight the sixth ancestor, Huenang, reveals. Eventually, Hongren does give the robe and the bowl to Huenang, but he says, look, you have to go into exile because all these monks here are going to be mad that this illiterate barbarian from the south is the true inheritor of the next ancestor. And so this limitation is demonstrated even inside the monastery amongst relatively enlightened persons. And, of course, Hongren also understands that many of the monks aren't going to understand Huenang's gata at all. And so he tells them publicly to follow Shinshu's instructions. Always try to keep it clean. Don't let it gather dust. So Hongren sort of speaks to the limitations of the monks, even within his own monastery. Um, Throughout much of human life and in spiritual religious practice, human beings and influential practitioners get stuck on dualistic Notions, the idea that we are either pure or impure. And this is a dangerous vision, or it divides the world, as I said before, into clean and unclean, the awakened and the unawakened, the worthy and the unworthy, the insiders, as opposed to the sinful barbarian outsiders. And so Huainan's exchange with Hongren before he's going into exile demonstrates the human truth elevated by his poetic reveal. The way has no northern or southern ancestors. We are all intrinsically worthy. Yet, even too often, purportedly awakened or enlightened ones can't see past long established bias. But ultimately, Hongren recognizes the truth in Huenang, in his poem and in his presence. The majority of the monks, however, do not understand. And so Huenang is sent into hiding for some years, a multi-year exile that ends only when the former general and warrior Chu Yi recognizes Huenang's true insight and status. There's one version of the story where he, he tries to steal the robe and the bull, and Hui is set it up on the rock and hides behind the stone because the, the warrior has a sword. and. But he can't lift them. You can't steal the Dharma, it turns out. And that's the moment when Zhu Yi realizes the truth. Oh, this really is a true insight and a true teacher. And so in that respect, it helps sort of demonstrate uh, how our own eye of practice needs to awaken and perceive the truth in Huenang's verse. Bodhi doesn't have any trees. The mirror doesn't have a stand. Our Buddha nature is forever pure. Where do you get this dust? Thank you. You've been listening to a Dharma Talk from Prairie Mountain Zen Center in Longmont, Colorado. To learn more about us or to make a donation, visit us at prairiemountain.org.